look around, man. How faithful is God? We're here. We're back. Seriously, I want everybody for a minute to just take a look around. Hopefully you're three, three seats apart. I can't see you, um, so I won't be able to tattle on you. But just turn around for a minute. Take it in. I think it's so easy. Something I was reminded of, man, all week this week as I was preparing is how much did I take advantage of nights like this? How routine did this become to me? How much of a job was this to me? And it's taken away for 10 months. And my soul longed to be with you guys. Like, I'm not trying to sound weird, like, you know, like New Testament epistle weird, but like, I miss you guys. I love you guys. I feel this burden, this weight as a friend, as a pastor to like walk alongside of life with you guys. And listen, I know that church isn't a building. I know that church isn't a service, but isn't it just true there's something special when the people of God get together in a room to lift up the name of Jesus? It's different. It's just special. And so tonight, that's all we're going to do. Like Andrew said, we're going to lift up the name of Jesus. And I know when he asked the question, um, if there's any new people in here, I saw a couple hands raised, so... I'll introduce myself. My name is Connor. Uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors. I'm also in charge of our incredible volunteer team. Can y'all give it up for the volunteers? And y'all have no idea. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me say this, and I've missed saying this. I've even like practiced in the mirror, sometimes in the shower, not to be too weird, but um, getting ready for this. Listen, I know there's a lot of people in here that come in with a lot of different life experiences and maybe a lot of different views of the world and spirituality. But you're going to learn really quick that I'm a Jesus guy. We're a Jesus people. Um, I believe that Jesus is every single thing that he claimed to be. I believe his word is completely true. And I believe that Jesus is king, that he is Lord, and there is not one false thing that he has led anybody who believes him into. And I know that's a bold statement. I know that can almost sound offensive at some point, but here's my challenge. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, or maybe you're not, I don't know, you got questions about his word or whatever, I just want to offer this challenge to you. Maybe tonight, and just for tonight, let your guard down a little bit, all right? Just soften your heart and just consider. I'm not even saying you have to buy in all the way, although I think you might, but just consider that Jesus is as good and as kind and as loving and as merciful as we believe that he is and that he's shown in my life. And so guys, tonight, it's my honor to talk about Jesus, to only talk about Jesus, and I cannot wait to dive in. We're gonna get our Bibles out real quick. We're gonna dive into the Word, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna jump in. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, you can look at the screen. It's been a while, give me some, give me some grace here. But we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, all right? And it's going to show up on the screen, and this is what it says. It says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because it is in His great mercy that He has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. 
This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, the, who through are shielded by faith in God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds and trials. These things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed, though you have not seen him. And this is Peter, the Apostle Peter, who knew Jesus, who walked with Jesus, talking to a church, talking to you tonight. He says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. In Hebrews chapter 6, 19, it says this, We have a certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. Come on, somebody. Come on, keys. Give me something. <laughs> and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone before us. The title of my message tonight is this, Storms and Anchors. Storms and Anchors. Let's pray and we're going to dive in. Jesus, what an honor. Man, if all we do tonight is lift up your name, it's worth it. If all we do is sing of your faithfulness, it's worth it. God, I believe that you have put a word on my heart to encourage, to challenge, to call people forward, to remind people of your goodness and your faithfulness. And so tonight, God, we lower our guard. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to say, speak to us. Pinpoint something in our life that you want to change, that you want to call out, that you want to encourage. And God, we give you all of our time, all of our attention. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. You may take a socially distanced seat. How about that? Hey, fair warning tonight. When I prep for a message, I'm normally around 12 to 13 pages of notes, and I'm at a solid 17, so buckle up, all right? Might be here for a minute, okay? Um, I want to talk to you guys about a movie that I really liked when I was a little kid growing up, and I'm going to date myself when I talk about this. Real quick, before, before I say that, actually, I want to preface this with something. I know that when you wear a mask, it almost feels like a shield, like you don't have to laugh um, or clap or whatever. You can just sit and be stoic and like weird. Can I just, can y'all give me a little bit? It's been almost a calendar year um, for me. So even though you got a mask, give God as much praise as you can. Um, but I'm going to date myself with this movie, okay? How many people in this room have heard of the movie Twister? Twister, come on. All right, check this out. Twister came out in 1996. Now, I have to ask a question in here, and I don't know if I really want to know the answer or not. How many, somebody knows where I'm going. How many people in this room were born in or after 1996? Oh, my gosh. That is most of you. Okay. All right. I was eight in 1996, okay? <laughs> I was eight years old, and the movie Twister had just come out. And, I mean, some of y'all probably don't even know what this is. It was the time of the VHS. 
Anybody familiar with the VHS? It's kind of like retro, old school to like have in your room now. It was the time of the VHS. And so VHS, there was a thing. When VHSs were out, Blockbuster was the thing. Anybody remember Blockbuster? I literally think there's like one more left in America. Um, but Blockbuster. And when you went to Blockbuster, you rented a VHS and you watched that thing till the gears fell off because it was five or six bucks before you got to see it again. So it's the time in life where you rented a movie, you bought a movie, and you watched it like 30 times before you got tired. You roll into Blockbuster and you're like, I need that twister. I need it now. That movie's hot, and I'm going to watch it 30 times before I bring it back. And this is a total side tangent. It has nothing to do with my message. But as I was thinking of this, I, I was kind of thinking, how many people know the one high school boy that worked in the Blockbuster, or even better, like the local video store, and you got to watch his evolution like as the years went by. And here's what I mean. I'm not even kidding. This is a true story. I'm not going to say his name because he used to live on my street and still might back at home. But there was a kid that worked in our local video store, and I watched him evolve. Um, as I would go in and rent movies. And he started as just like the normal happy-go-lucky Hollister, uh, Air Apostle, American Eagle kid, right? He gets a year or two into high school and he enters that Blink-182 phase, you know, where he like kind of wears the chains. He's got that haircut that swoops in front of his one eye. He's angry about his dad that has done nothing but provide his whole life. You kind of watch that like kid evolve. And then no lie, ours... Our, our video guy evolved into the vampire stage. Now listen, this was before Twilight. This was when vampires were dangerous. Like this kid, this kid, I'm not exaggerating you. I don't know if they were real or if he filed his teeth. He, he gave himself fangs, like that kind of vampire, like kid. So that has nothing to do with my message. Just everybody knows that one guy that works at the video store that evolved from normal to Blink-182 to vampire. Okay, but... I remember walking in, saying hi to the vampire kid, getting Twister and being like, this is it, baby. This Twister was my first grown-up movie. It was my first PG-13 movie. That or maybe Independence Day with Will Smith. But if y'all don't know Independence Day, go watch that right now. But so we get, we get the VHS. We're going home and I'm like, this is amazing. I am an adult. I felt so cool because I got to watch Twister with my parents. Now for the 90% of you that have never seen Twister and were born after it came out, it is a very simple plot. It is about tornadoes. <laughs> it is about a group of people who study tornadoes and their goal is to create some type of system that lets people know when a tornado is like forming near their town so they can go and be safe. But to do this, they have to put their self in the tornado's path. They have to like put their self in harm's way so that they can, I don't know, they had these little things that looked like almost like light bulbs that they would send up into the tornado and it would somehow get all this data, but they had to put themselves in harm's way. And y'all, at the time, this movie was cutting edge. Like these storms would start to form and you'd be like, oh, it is about to go down. And like, roofs of homes would be like ripped off. You would see cars like chucked across the street. I think there's a scene where there's like a cow that gets like stuck in it and like lifted and chucked. But ironically, there's also a scene where an F5 tornado, which is like the biggest, most deadly apparently, is coming. And the two main characters are in a field, maybe five feet in front of it, like running through the field with like 
If you're in a tornado that's two miles wide, I think five feet, you're going to get sucked up into that thing. Just, just saying. But the movie was so freaking cool. And I remember as an eight-year-old, I was like, man, this is amazing. And I would go into my school and I would like, you know, kind of have a little like strut about me. I'd be like, hey, you see Twister yet? <laughs> oh, no, you're too scared figure. You're scared of everything. You know, like, no, nah, man, my parents let me see Twister and let me tell you, it is amazing. I thought Twister was the greatest thing on planet Earth until a storm would start to brew. The wind would pick up a little bit. You'd hear some rain start to hit the street outside, the, the wind blowing through the leaves, a little crack of thunder over here, a little bolt of lightning over there, and you would find me laying under my bed praying in tongues, asking God to deliver us from the storm that is about to come. Twister was so cool until a real storm approached my life. Why? Why was I so afraid when it was so cool, so honorable for me as a kid to watch this movie? Because I had been exposed to the potential that a storm could bring. I had been exposed to what a storm could do if it hit my house, hit my life. It, the storm could prove to be more than my house could hold. And if the winds were strong enough, it could rip the roof off of my house. It could prove to me that I was not prepared enough and I didn't anchor down or find security enough to stay safe in the middle of a storm. I knew the damage that a storm could bring because of the movie Twister. And I was thinking about YA and the year we have all just been through and coming back to young adults. And if we're honest, I feel like we could all agree that it feels like our souls, our emotions, and our faith just feels like we've been weathering this storm, trying to hold on. That we didn't ask for it, we didn't want it, but a storm just blindsided us and came through and we have just been doing all we know to hunker down and survive. Think about it. Like, think about it for a second. If you would have told me every single thing that would have happened in the past calendar year, I would have thought you were making some type of sick and twisted joke. Like, for real. Like, and I know there's been a lot of memes about it, and there's a lot of things out there about it, but just for the sake, I don't know if this is overplayed or a little tired, but I just want to recap 2020 for you guys for a minute so that we can kind of understand what's just happened to our, uh, our, our mental health, our spiritual health, our emotional health. And this isn't going to be everything, and this is in no particular order, but follow me for a second. We kicked off the year by losing basketball legend Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi in a helicopter accident. Wildfires ran rampant through Australia, California, Oregon, and Colorado. Tragedy struck our black communities as many young black Americans were murdered, including Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and many more leading to protests and social justice, movement, social justice movements and marches that we haven't seen the likes of since the days of civil rights. And I pray that we continue to grow as a people and a country to love the way that Jesus loves and include and accept and see the dignity in every human being. Rumors of a new virus surfaced coming out of Wuhan region of China. And by March 2020, over 150,000 confirmed cases of COVID have been verified in the United States. 
And also shout out to every single nurse and doctor that put yourself on the front line to do whatever you could to keep us safe. We love you and we honor you and we are grateful for you. Because of COVID, flights and travel were canceled or postponed. Businesses and entertainment, including professional sports, coffee shops, malls, the restaurant industry were pushed to online services, minimum capacities, or takeout only. Stay-at-home orders and quarantine orders were given by the government in hopes of flattening the curve. How many people have heard of flattening the curve? which started a wave of people working from home, children going to school at home, and parents for the first time balancing a job and trying to educate their children at the same time. Due to stay-at-home orders, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, and many other streaming services saw record subscriptions and introduced us to characters and so shows such as Tiger King. How many people know that, dude? Love is Blind. Anybody Love is Blind? That one blonde chick, she was kind of weird, right? <laughs> While many of us continued to watch the classics, New Girl, The Office, R.I.P. on Netflix, Park and Rec, Parks and Rec, Breaking Bad, whatever your choice is. Murder Hornets were a thing. Um, yeah, that was like a real thing that came through, a murder hornet. That sucks, right? Uh, people had an insatiable appetite for toilet paper. Um, COVID has nothing to do with your bowels, but apparently um, you need it. And that guy was awesome in taking every single toilet paper that Costco offered. We ended the year with a presidential election, which is never stressful. And now terms like quarantine, social distancing, contact tracing, exposure have all become a part of our everyday vocabulary. I think it is safe to say that 2020 was a storm that blindsided us and turned our world completely upside down. And it makes me think about what the Apostle Peter was writing to the church in his letter in 1 Peter. Peter is writing to a church that is going through the middle of trials and persecutions. And as I was studying for this, there were multiple governments and multiple regions that saw Christianity as a threat and weren't just trying to shut down church, but if you uh, proclaim the name of Jesus or attended church, they were trying to literally take your life from you. So this, this group of people in this letter knows a little bit about suffering. They know a little bit about what it's like to go through a storm. They know what it's like to have their world turned totally upside down. And Peter says this in 1 Peter. He says, In all of this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds and trials. That's to put it lightly. He says, These things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. First off, Peter says, rejoice, even though you are suffering trials. How many people, your first response to lack of toilet paper, coronavirus, uh, murder hornets, whatever it was, I'm feeling like rejoicing right now. Anybody, anybody feeling like when 2020 hit, I just got to give God a shout of praise. That is exactly what I thought. But, but Peter's telling this church that knows a little bit about suffering, that knows a little bit about going through a storm in life. He says, rejoice. 
And he says, this is why you can rejoice. And he says this, he says, these things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise. If I were to write a Bible, which I never will, and give you a translation, I would, I would phrase what Peter's trying to say like this. Storms will come. And when they do, they will prove where your faith actually lies. And your faith, when in the right place, is worth more than gold and will result in praise. And so tonight, I want to talk about storms for a little bit. Because I believe if you are in here and you have a breath, you have just walked out of one of the most stormy seasons that we have ever experienced in our generation as a human race. I want to talk about storms and what, what are some things that storms can show us in our life? What are they here? Why does God allow them? God doesn't cause storms. He doesn't bring storms, but he allows storms. Why does God do that? I think the first thing is this, and Peter says in his letter, he says, storms prove. Storms prove. If you're taking notes, write that down because you're going to get a better house in heaven. Amen. Peter says this, he says, you've suffered trials of many kinds, but these things prove the genuineness of your faith. Storms prove. How many people know it's real easy to put on a front until life just comes at you? How many people know you can juggle some things? Girls, you can put on the makeup, you can, you can do your hair, you can get your hair did, you can put on the new outfit. But just that right moment when that final thing comes, man, you are just breaking down. You don't care. You are crying. Fellas, how many know like we can shoulder some stuff for a while, but there is just a breaking point that we have that is just too much for us. Storms prove something. And, they, and what they prove is that you can put on a facade for so long until life hits you, right? Because it's easy to believe that God is your provider and your source until you get a phone call saying, hey, I'm sorry, our company is downsizing and we can no longer have you as an employee, right? It's easy to say God is my source and my supply until I'm let go from my job. It's easy to believe that God is all you need until the other person calls off the relationship because they don't see it going anywhere. And not only is God all you need, now God is all you got, right? Anybody single in here and loving it? There we go. Okay. <laughs> it's easy to believe that God is all I need until God is all you got, right? It's easy to believe that God is going to keep you in good health and protect you until the diagnosis comes in, right? It's easy to believe that God is my healer when I'm fine and I'm in good health. But when that diagnosis comes, man, it proves something. It's easy to believe that life is about having fun, hooking up, posting on the gram, going out, doing what I feel until 2020 hits. And you can't do any of that anymore. There's something about a storm that just cuts through our facades and proves what's really deep down on the inside of us. It proves where our hope is really anchored to. Something about only a storm season can prove what is deeply on the inside of you. I remember when uh, my wife and I found out that we were pregnant. I say we, like I helped. <laughs> 
I did one thing. <laughs> Get your minds out of the gutter. I prayed, okay? No. <laughs> We're pregnant, um, and my daughter's actually one. How crazy is that? The last time we were here, I lifted her up like an irresponsible father, and now she's one years old. She chipped her tooth today, by the way. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but I remember Aaron was pregnant, and we're at that point where we had to find a daycare. Now, that sounds cute. That sounds cool. Like, oh, you're starting a family um, until you realize how expensive daycares are. Now, don't let the 2001 silver Honda Civic and the $10 chain fool you, Okay. You don't enter into ministry to make the money. You don't enter into to ministry to make the big dollars. And as we were going around and we were looking at different daycares, man, we started thinking like, oh, okay. Like, can our daughter watch herself? Like, how soon does that, how soon does that happen? Um, but, but we started getting prices from different places, and we had a couple favorites. We had, a, we had a, top of, you know, a couple people on the top of our list, and we're going around, and I managed the money in our house, and I quickly realized that if we never ate out, and I don't mean go downtown, L5, couple drinks, ate out. I mean McDonald's dollar menu ate out. If we never ate out, if I never bought another article of clothing, shoes, socks, whatever, underwear, like we, we were going to have to make our own underwear. If I never bought anything new, we would still be in the negative every single month if we put our daughter into child care. And so we simply just didn't make enough money to do it. And Erin at the time, my wife, was pretty passionate about wanting to stay at home and be with her her first couple years. But we didn't even make enough for Erin for that to even be a remote possibility. And so we were stuck. We couldn't afford daycare. My wife couldn't stay home with our child, even though she really wanted to. And we had no idea what we were going to do. And so I did what every great man of faith does. I prayed. I fasted. I sought God. No, I'm kidding. I panicked. <laughs> I absolutely panicked. You can ask my wife. I literally like, so already we rent out, we have a basement, we rent that out to somebody, but we had this room that we had set up for a nursery and we were so excited. And so I was like pricing out, like how much can we get for the nursery? Is that going to be enough to offset? Can we have somebody live with us? We only have one bathroom, so that'll kind of be awkward, especially with a crying baby. And like, it's going to feel kind of like commune cultish. So maybe we don't want to like do that. Aaron and I started looking into getting second jobs. Um, but, our, you know, we love what we do. And so we wanted to really kind of fully invest and make sure we were present here. Um, we honestly talked about moving. Do we need to move? Like, is this just God telling us, like, you need to get out of here? You need to move to the middle of Montana or Iowa or wherever God has not been to yet. And <laughs> where homes are $100,000 and you can, like, afford to live, like, do we need to do that? Do we need to sell our place and move in with your parents? And I'm not kidding. My wife can attest to this. There was a season of life where I would wake up in the middle of the night just sweating, and I felt like an elephant was like sitting on my chest, and I couldn't breathe, and I would get panic attacks. Because at the end of the day, I looked at our budget, and I cut out everything that we could possibly cut out. I mean, literally, I took our grocery bill down to genuinely like beans, rice, and eggs, and we could not afford it. And I, I was just panicking. And my wife, in that moment, you ever know when somebody's like too, like so optimistic and encouraging that it's annoying? Like, 
every time I'd be like, babe, I don't know what to do. Like, th- this isn't a real thing. Like, we cannot do this. She'd be like, babe, honestly, I know. Like, I, I-, I see your little spreadsheet that you've pulled up. Like, I-, I feel your sweat in the middle of the night. Like, um, but hey, listen, God's been there for us before. And I know God's going to come through. Babe, God knows exactly where we are. He, he knows exactly what we do. He knows exactly how much we make. He's going to come through. He's going to be good, just cool as a cucumber. <laughs> She's just chilling. And I kid you not, man, about two months before we had our little girl, we get a phone call in a daycare that we love that was on the top of our list of places we want to take our daughter called us and said, listen, we know your situation. We actually go to your church. Um, and we just felt God lead us to say that we wanted to give you half off of your child care. We wanted to provide an opportunity for you to maybe save a little money. And I remember hanging up that phone call and just crying because we could do that. We could do that with a little extra And in the middle of one of my most panicked moments of like, I'm about to be a dad. I'm about to be a father. I'm not just a husband anymore. Like I got a little girl that thinks I have life figured out and I have nothing figured out right now. Like in the middle of one of the most trying seasons of my life, I get a phone call that says God is coming through. And in a storm, listen, in a storm, my faith. In a storm, my faith proved not to be as strong as I thought it was, but my Jesus proved to be more faithful than he has ever been, that I could ever imagine. My Jesus proved that he knew everything that I needed before I needed it. He proved that the days of my life were written out before I even took a breath. And any challenge, any problem that I would ever face, he already provided the solution. God showed to be faithful when I was faithless because I know two things. Storms will prove two things to you. It'll show you what do I really believe about God when things get tough. But it'll also show you that God is unreasonably faithful when you are faithless. Second Timothy says this. It says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. When I am faithless, when I have nothing left to give, when I can't conjure up a Bible verse, when I can't conjure up a prayer, when I can't ask God, when I can't even think, when I'm at the end of my wits, my Jesus remains faithful to me. And listen, it says, for he cannot disown himself. He cannot disown himself. Listen, why storms are going to come. And maybe in this season of life, you have wavered in your faith. Maybe this season has beat you up and tossed you around and and messed with your mind and messed with your head. Maybe in this season of life, your faith has wavered and you started to doubt God's goodness and God's kindness. Can I just remind you that he is faithful. Jesus is always faithful. And listen, it is not because you deserve it. It is not because you have worked for it. It is not because you have earned it. It is not because you have sinned less today than you did yesterday. The Bible says he is faithful because it is just who he is and he cannot deny himself. He cannot disown himself. So on your worst day, he will be faithful because that is who God is. And storms will prove to you where you really believe, where your faith is really placed in that moment. It'll prove to you what you really think about God when the trials come and the tribulations come and the storms come. 
but it'll also prove that Jesus is unreasonably faithful. It'll prove him true over and over and over again. The first thing that storms do is they prove. The second thing that storms do is they expose. Man, did anybody feel like 2020 might have exposed some things in their life? Anybody feel a little exposed by 20? Just me? My own? Okay. Okay. All right. Good. I'm making sure. Anybody feel like 2020 exposed some things, right? Maybe, maybe there's some things in your life that you didn't know were there still, right? Maybe you thought you had dealt with some things from your past. Maybe you thought you dealt with some trauma and you did a good job dealing with it. And then 2020 comes and quarantine comes and you, you can't talk to anybody, see anybody. And some things start to get exposed in your life from a storm. Storms have a way of exposing our fears. They have a way of exposing our insecurities. And they have a way of exposing our vulnerabilities. I remember when COVID first really hit. Like it wasn't just this thing out in Seattle, which I went to Seattle. Seattle's weird, so I'm like, okay, whatever, it might stay there. When COVID hit, I remember going to Costco, but like kind of ignorantly. It was just our normal, everyday Costco run, get Ezra chicken nuggets, get my wife chicken nuggets, um, more mac and cheese for my wife. Um, You know, just do our normal thing. I remember pulling up into Costco. And for the first time that I can remember in my life, seeing a line out the door, wrapping around the building. Like, okay, chicken nuggets must be on sale this week or, so, or something like that. Uh, I remember standing in the line, and I remember waiting and getting in and just being like, what is going on? And some people were in masks, and some people weren't because that wasn't a thing yet. And, like, and I remember walking into Costco and seeing Costco. Like, the land of milk and honey, Costco. Like, more than you could ever ask for, imagine, or need, Costco. With empty aisles of food. And, like, no chicken, no eggs, no milk, no chicken nugget. Like, nothing. And I remember pushing this cart, and, like, a moment of panic, like, hit me. I remember, like, my brain went into, like, survival mode. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, what is going on? And so I ran, because I'm a meathead, and grabbed some protein, and I, and I was like, okay, and then ask my wife. We still have it. I have this little plastic bin where we have these two giant, like, 50-pound bags of rice. I don't know. We don't eat that much rice ever. But I was just like, why are there empty aisles? And I was, you know, like, and somebody was, like, trying to grab another bag, and I'm, like, kicking them in the face, like, don't touch my bag of rice, bro. I see you. But I remember I had this moment of panic, the storm of this disease that nobody had ever heard of or knew what was going to happen. or It gripped my heart and it exposed some fear in my life to where we were eating rice for the next six years. But like, it reminded me of a story in the Bible, Luke chapter 8. And you don't have to turn there. I'm going to summarize it for you real quick. Jesus and his disciples are on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just been teaching, performing miracles, um, doing his Jesus thing in all these towns. And he was like, hey, I want to go over to the other side of the lake. I want to go to the other towns and kind of do the same thing. And so Jesus and his disciples get on this boat. And it says that Jesus was tired, and so he took a nap, right? And so while Jesus is on a boat in the Sea of Galilee um, taking a nap, a storm hits. Now, I don't know if anybody has been out in open water like the ocean or a lake in the middle of the storm. I have one time. Um, I was out in the middle of the ocean with some friends on a boat, and a storm just came in. It is the most terrifying thing in the entire world. 
And so these guys are out in the middle of a giant body of water, and the storm hits. And the Bible says that it's so bad that waves are crashing over their boat. It's tossing things left and right. I'm sure they're just holding on for dear life. And, and they're looking around. They're panicked. They're like, oh, my gosh, we are about to die. And so they do, you know, only what's only logical, they run to Jesus, who is asleep uh, in the little hole, the Bible says, on, on like a cushion. Now, first off, you have to be God if you can sleep through a storm that is tossing everything around, right? Like, how do you sleep through that? Jesus is just chilling, taking a nap, but they wake Jesus up and they say, hey, I don't know if you know what's going on or not. But there is a storm that is about to sink our ship, and we are all about to die. And so Jesus gets up. It says he walks out to the front of the boat. He does his Jedi hand wave or whatever, you know. I don't know why. I just pictured Jesus being like. <laughs> but it says he rebukes the wind and the waves. How many people have gotten that old school grandma grandpa rebuke before? Jesus goes a little old school Pentecostal and rebukes the wind and the waves and they stop. And the disciples, it says they've been with him for such a long time, but they're like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? That even his, like his words can stop a storm. And Jesus hears them, knows what they're thinking. I mean, he just made a storm stop, so he probably knows what they're thinking. And he looks at him and he says, hey, where is your faith? And what I don't think Jesus is saying in this moment, I don't think Jesus is necessarily reprimanding them or rebuking them or rebuking them. I think what he's asking them is simply this. Why do you have more faith in the storm than you have in me? In this moment, the disciples had a choice. Do I put my faith in Jesus or do I put my faith in what is happening around me? It took a storm to expose in them that even though they had Jesus in the boat, sometimes we have a tendency to put more faith in what is happening around us than who is in the boat with us. Sometimes, no matter how many times we read our Bible, these men were with Jesus, watching the miracles, watching the healing, watching the, the fish and the loaves be multiplied, and they are in the middle of a storm, and a storm exposes in them that sometimes we put more faith in what is happening around us than the person who is in the boat with us. Why? Can I ask you all a simple question? How many of us, if we're honest, had more faith in what 2020 could do to us than what Jesus has already done for us. How many people this past year, and listen, I'm in this camp, had more faith in what 2020 could do to us than what Jesus has already done for us? I know that's me. There were some things in my life that this past year, the storm of this past year exposed in me that I didn't like. There were some things that I was wrestling with that I had to confess to my wife and my friends. There were some things that got exposed that showed me that I don't really trust God with my finances the way I thought I trusted God with my finances. There were some things that got exposed that I don't know if I trust God with the protection and the health of my family the way I thought or the way that I said I did. Storms have a way of exposing things in us. But I want to ask, what if, when we're exposed, instead of being down and defeated, we use this as a wake-up call. What if God doesn't cause storms, 
but he allows storms to come as a wake-up call to your soul that maybe you have been placing your faith and your hope into the wrong thing. Maybe God allows a storm in your life to show you that the thing you thought would anchor you through anything in life isn't strong enough. It wasn't designed to withstand the things that is being thrown at you. What if, instead of running from storms, running from when we get exposed, we can embrace it and we can say, God, what do you have for me to learn? I don't like this season. I'm not reveling in this season. I'm not glorifying this season. But I know if you brought me through to this season, you will bring me through this season. So God, do your work in my life. Here's what I know. And man, you guys can begin to make your way on up. Storms prove. Storms expose. And storms require an anchor. Storms require an anchor. Why, as much as 2020 sucked, and it sucked, (laughs) there's going to be more storms ahead in your future. There's going to be more trials. There's going to be more tribulations. There's going to be hard things in life that you have to walk through. Can I ask you this question? What are you anchored to, really? What did 2020 show you that your soul was anchored to? What did this past year prove to you that what, like, what do you cling to when life gets hard, when the world get tur- gets turned upside down? What was exposed in you about where you place your hope or where you look to find joy? What is that one thing that you keep on going back to and back to that you know you shouldn't go back to when life gets hard and things just don't make sense? What was exposed in you? What did you find out your soul is actually anchored to. I was talking to my wife about this message, and she said something that honestly is kind of obvious, but it was sort of profound, like in the moment. I think it's pretty profound. I was talking about the message, and I was talking about anchors, and I had this really cool illustration that honestly probably isn't a good, is a good thing that didn't happen because I could have fallen off the front of the stage if the anchor didn't actually work the way it was supposed to. But she said this, she said, it's crazy that God gave human beings that are made in his image uh, the ability to create and design things, uh, anchors that are specifically designed to hold steady and withstand in whatever a storm could throw at you. It's amazing that these things are actually designed to hold you steady when, when the waters of life start to become a little choppy, when waves start to get a little too big for you to handle. I was reading um, on boat.com. Now listen, that sounds kind of weird, but I swear it's like really authoritative. Um, I was Googling like boats and anchors and storms and all this stuff. And, and it said, and I, and I also read this in other places, so it's not just boats.com. But, <laughs> but it said that when a storm comes out at sea, You actually turn the ship towards the storm. You turn the ship towards the waves and you drop anchor and you have faith that the thing that was designed to steady you and hold you will do its job. YA, in the past year, if if it has shown us anything, it's that God loves rap. God loves hip hop. Oh, man. Speak to us, Lord. What do you have to say? God sounds like Lecrae. That's crazy. 
If 2020 has shown us anything is this, is that most of the things that we cling to so dearly in life were never designed to steady us or withstand a storm that would be thrown at us. Listen, your job, while it is amazing and it is a good thing and it is a gift, was never meant to be your source or your supply. Your relationship, no matter how awesome and God-honoring it is, was never meant to be your source of joy or your source of peace. Listen, no amount of likes that you can get on a post or whatever was supposed to be the thing that gives you your sense of accomplishment and identity. No election was supposed to be the thing that gives your soul security and your mind peace. Alcohol and pornography can only numb what Jesus can only heal. Listen, there are things in life that we anchor ourselves to. And when the waves start to start to crash and the wind starts to blow, they become exposed as things that were never designed, never made to hold you steady in a storm. But listen, I know one name. I know one name who is strong enough that holds you steady. I know one name that stands above the waves. He walks on them. When the, when the storms of life come, I know one man who walks on the storm. I know one name that stands above every other. His name is Jesus. He is our anchor in the storm. Hebrews says this. It says, we have a hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Jesus Christ, our forerunner who has gone before us, our anchor in the storm. Peter calls Jesus your living hope because he did not die and get buried in a grave. Three days later, he kicked that thing open and got back up and proclaimed life to any broken, hurting, dead soul that needs a relationship with God. Peter calls him your living hope. The book of Revelations calls Jesus your anchor that is faithful and true. He is your kinsman redeemer, your prince of peace, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one that knows every storm in life that will be thrown your way and has prepared himself as a solid rock, a good foundation, a cornerstone that you can lean your life on and he will always be faithful, always be true and will never leave. His name is Jesus. He is the only anchor made to hold your soul steady in the storm. Young adults, will you stand with me? I got two simple questions. As we come back, you know, it's a new year for us. I know we're 21 days in, but it's, this is young adults' first night. Why make this year the same as years past? Why allow your soul to be anchored to something that, that will never sustain you, that'll leave you empty and hurting? And listen, you know what it is. We all have our thing. You go back to it over and over and over again. You go back to that relationship. You go back to that computer screen. You go back to those DMs. You go back to that substance. Feeling like in a moment it'll hold you steady through something that is shaking your world, but comes up empty every single time. Why not this year? We just let it go and say, Jesus, I don't know what needs to take place. I don't know how to let go of this thing on my own, but I know that it has failed me in every storm that I've gone through. And so, Jesus, I need an anchor that is faithful and true. I need an anchor that was designed for this, designed for healing, 
designed for peace, designed for the human soul. Jesus, I need you. So young adults, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want to ask two questions. First question is this. How many people would say in 2020, God exposed some things in your life that you need to make right? God exposed some things that you were anchoring yourself to that have led you down time after time after time. Tonight, I'm going to pray. And I want to ask that you just in your own words while I pray, ask God to cut you free from everything that is not meant for eternity, that is not meant to anchor you to become more in the image and likeness of Jesus, and that he would anchor you to the only true God, Jesus Christ. And for those of you in this room tonight that don't know Jesus, you are the people I was talking to at the beginning. Man, if, if 2020, if, if life has just beat you up, there's hope. This isn't some empty promise. This isn't an encouraging message. This is good news about a person who is alive, who reigns, who sits on the throne of heaven and is coming very soon. And he brings justice and peace and mercy and salvation. For those of you dealing with anxiety that don't know Jesus, he's your hope. For those of you that are dealing with addictions to pornography and substances, he's your freedom. For those of you that have come and you're just battling mental illness and depression, man, he's your source of peace. For those of you that are looking for a job and, and maybe you're, you feel like you have lack, I promise you what God did for me, he will do for you because he is no respecter of person. He is your provider. If you are in here tonight and you don't know Jesus, but you would like to start a relationship with him, you would like to meet a living God, not a theory, a person. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you too. Hands all across the room. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. Jesus, we believe in you. God, we believe in you. You prove yourself over and over and over again. And so tonight, Jesus, I pray that for anybody that came in this room, some things were exposed in their life over this past year. They were anchored and tied down to things that have no eternal value. God, would they cut ties with that in the name of the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, would you cut spiritual ties to things that are holding people back to addictions, to pornography, to alcohol, to depression, to drugs. God, I pray that you would cut those things loose and they would anchor their souls to the living hope, Jesus Christ. God, for those of you that don't know you but raise their hand and want to meet you, God, you know what you're doing. You know how to have conversations with us. You know how to come into our heart. And so, God, I pray right now that those who confess their need for you, would you meet them? Would you save them? And would you bring them into this eternal hope that we have? Jesus, we love you so much. It is an honor to worship you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. I love you guys.